well, as Pastor Bill limps away and I limp up here, don't anybody say anything about pruning anything. <laughs> right? We'll just uh, not go there tonight. If I need to be pruned at all, and I do, um, and the fruits of the Spirit, one that he mentioned today that pricked my heart, and my wife will tell you that, that the, the fruit of the Spirit is patience. And I'm, I'm being pruned for patience because I want this over with now. <laughs> so um, just continue on, though. We'll continue on and, and wait on the Lord's timing and uh, continue to give him praise. We're going to talk tonight um, in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, um, the first 11 verses, kind of broken into two parts. You know, as I've gone through 1 Corinthians so far, we know that the Corinthian church had a lot of problems. And um, they had, Paul is dealing with those problems. The first problem he dealt with was the appeal for unity. Because some were saying, um, I'm from Apollos. Some were saying, I'm from Cephas. Some were saying, I'm from Paul. Some were saying, I'm only of Christ. So there was division there. He dealt with that unity uh, that needed to happen within the church. It wasn't to be division in the church. There was to be a unity. It's already been mentioned a couple times today. Um, that's the character of God, because from before time began that we know, the Holy Spirit, God the Son, and God the Father have been, are, and always will be in perfect unity. Not fighting with one another, not on an agenda on their own, but they're on the same agenda. And God's people, God's children, should be like-minded and, and display that character of unity within the body of Christ, especially. And so one of the things that he also dealt with that they were enamored with was um, wisdom and uh, philosophy. And philosophy is just basically knowledge, gaining knowledge. And they, they loved knowledge, and they thought in knowledge was power. I think we can still hear that today. And the more you learn, the, the better job you'll have, the more you'll make, the more you'll have your 401k grow. There's power in money, and there's the driving force of that is knowledge, or even technology today, um, knowledge of technical things. Um, we were, I don't know where we were at, we were uh, somewhere the other day, and um, Helen had her phone out, and um, the young man behind the counter said, I didn't know that that was available on the phone. And Helen felt so proud of herself that she was above a teenager in technology. <laughs> it just doesn't happen that often anymore. Uh, we go to them for answers in technology. But he, he dealt with these, uh, this philosophy uh, of knowledge and all of those things that they were going to the world for wisdom. And we'll see a little bit of more of that today. And then Paul talked about the reliance upon the Spirit because Paul, Paul wanted to know basically one thing. He wanted to know Christ crucified, buried, and risen, and have you trusted him as your Savior. And so that's going to kind of lead to our title of our sermon tonight, Saints and Sinners. Two groups of people, saints and sinners. Um, he's also dealt with the problem. We want to look at that, too, of, of uh, foundations for living and, and this relationship that was taking place within the church um, that was not according to God's word. And he called out this brother who was, had taken his uh, father's wife, probably his stepmother, and there was... Something happening there with incest that wasn't even allowed within the Gentile community or the, the pagan community. 
It was not, it was taboo there. And he said, this, this shouldn't be. And the church had erred in not dealing with that. And so he dealt with that problem um, there. And he talked about being a servant of Christ and being a trustworthy steward. And that word steward or that word uh, uh, servant meant an under rower. It wasn't a glorious job. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a high profile calling. That under rower was the guy on the bottom of the ship in the third row of rowers. He was the lowest of servants. And Paul considered himself that. He was an under servant to Christ. He was an under shepherd to the church. Christ was the head and he, was, he had a responsibility which he took very seriously. And I know that I do and I know that Pastor Bill does for the sheep, the, the congregation to care for them and to watch over them. But we are only servants of Christ. And all of us are that. And so Paul wanted them to know, you know, his position wasn't high and lofty. He was, a, he was an under rower. He was one that served the Lord and he wanted them to serve the Lord with that same attitude of humility. That same attitude of humility. Um, what they had, they did not receive because um, in their own efforts. In fact, he's talked a couple times, if you were to boast in anything... Here's what you need to boast in. Boast in the Lord and what he's done for you and what he's accomplished in your lives. Boast in those things. And then um, he talked about um, immorality within the church. Uh, talked about those things that weren't taking place that shouldn't take place. Um, that they needed to rid themselves of those or separate themselves from those. In fact, one of the great things he says there in chapter 5, verse 8, he said... Uh, let us therefore celebrate the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, honesty and truth, adhering to God's word and living that way. Um, he wants them to, to live that way. That, that leads us to where we are tonight, saints and sinners. You know, as I wanted to just boil the, all we've talked about already kind of down to a sentence, I wanted to just give you that as we start tonight. And what Paul is talking about, and I think what he's talking to you and I about, or what the Lord's talking to us tonight about in this passage, is he wants these people, and I think the Lord wants us to live or apply the application of the gospel in everyday life. The application of the gospel in everyday life. You know, we can, we'll have chances to present the gospel at the fair booth this week. And we want to see people saved. We want to see people hear the gospel message and believe. But there is much more beyond that. It isn't just a one and done proposition. And I believed and I trusted. I'm good to go and I go live my life now. No. The rest of our life is the application of the gospel in everyday life. That includes cooking supper. Did you know that? That includes relationship with our wife and with our coworkers. That has application to our job that we do every day. That has application for young people and, and the classes they're in at school. If they have trusted Christ as their Savior, the application of the gospel is for every minute of every day applied to our lives. Are we a saint or are we a sinner? And Paul is going Paul is going to talk about that tonight and talk about the transformation that should have happened and what that looks like. And I always, I always have a propositional statement. I, I know that, and I, I looked at that this week, and I have something for you at the end. Okay? 
the propositional statement I have is what has been transformed and what makes everything different? And I'm going to give you the answer to that question at the end. What has been transformed and what makes everything different once I've trusted Christ as my Savior? The application of the gospel in everyday life. Well, we're going to read our passage tonight and then we're going to talk about this uh, and what, it, what it's saying to us, uh, what, what the Lord wants us to learn tonight. Uh, Paul's going to, one thing I want to mention too, Paul's going to ask a lot of questions here. He's going to ask, I, I've got them kind of highlighted in my Bible here, written down. I think in this first 11 verses, he asks nine pointed questions. Nine pointed questions. And actually, the number one question, which he, he uses in this chapter six times, is this. Do you not know? Do you not know? I think my mom would put it this way. What were you thinking? Do you not know? What were you thinking? And so he, he, he's going to ask that six times in this chapter in these 20 verses. But he's got nine questions here that we're going to look at tonight and a little bit in, in this uh, application of the gospel in everyday life. And he's going to deal with a specific problem of lawsuits uh, here. Verse 1 of chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. Does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? There's question number one. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Question number two. If the world is judged by you, are you not competent to... Con- to Are you not competent to constitute the smallest law courts? Question number three. Do you not know that we will judge angels? That's question number four. How much more the matters of this life? Question number five. So if you have law courts dealing with the matters of life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? Question number six. I say this to your shame. It is so that there, are, there is not among you one wise man who will be able to decide between his brethren. But brethren goes to law with his brother and that before unbelievers. That was question number seven right there. Actually, then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wrong? Question number seven. Why not rather be defrauded? Question number eight. On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren? Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? That was question number nine. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor... Sorry, I went backwards. Nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, sinners, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. The Lord add his blessing to his word. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time tonight. Thank you for uh, this passage that we can look at, these questions and and this uh, application of the gospel in our lives, um, application of everyday things, 
Uh, here we have lawsuits, but just in all things in our lives, the application of the gospel that changed us, transformed us, gave us a new way to think, a new heart, and new desires that follow. And Lord, there is a responsibility, but Lord, the, the work, the transforming work is all of you. It's not of our deeds. It's not of our living a certain way that would earn heaven. It's by faith in Christ that we are transformed. And so, Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together in it. Uh, teach us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Well, first of all, it says in this, uh, do you not know, we're going to look at my thinking. Uh, my thinking, uh, how it should be biblically and according to God's word, not according to man's wisdom, not according to my opinions, not according to your opinions, but what does the word of God say? So he starts out with this. He's against uh, lawsuits discouraged. Does, does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to the law? And that word dare is in the aorist, uh, I think it's present tense. It means it's, it's happened. It's, it's a continuing reality. It's a continuing reality. Dare, dare any of you. This is happening on a regular basis. Dare, dare to go to the law before the unrighteous and not before the saints. And so here's the, here's the opposition of the, 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 the two sides. The unrighteous doesn't necessarily mean that they're sinners, but it means that they are unsaved. That's what he's talking about. So here it's the saints and the sinners. We've talked about saints before. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, God has declared you justified and you are a saint. And a saint means set apart. Set apart for the Lord, set apart for his use, set apart as his child, set apart for his purposes. You have trusted Christ as your savior. You're a saint. You don't need to wait for an inquisition. You don't need to wait for the church after you're dead to declare you to be a saint. Um, we heard um, we heard the other night a testimony, my wife and I, from a lady who used to be in the Catholic Church. And she had a wonderful grandmother who she considered a saint. And her grandmother passed away. And then she heard at the funeral that her grandmother was not in heaven yet. She had to be prayed into heaven or bought out of purgatory. And you know what she thought? She said she thought, if my Nana wasn't a saint and in heaven, then who can be in heaven any day? So she questioned that teaching. She questioned, was that from the Bible? And it led to her own salvation. So saints and sinners, we are saints by, by God's declaring us to be. We are saints justified by God. And he says, if you are a saint of God, do you dare go? Do you continue to go before the unrighteous, the, the sinners of the world? Uh, do you continue to bring your case before them? Do you dare to go to their law before the unrighteous when you are saints, children of God, with... And he's already talked about that. All the wisdom that we need right in our hand. All the wisdom of God's word. We've already looked at, Paul says, the wisdom of the world is what? Foolishness to God. The wisdom that man looks to for answers is foolishness to God. We look to the Lord for his wisdom, not to the courts or to the law. Um, I hope we never, and I've seen a couple of episodes of this, I don't watch it on a regular basis, but we do not go to Judge Judy. You know, why would you want to air that awfulness on TV? We do not go there. 
We do not go before the unrighteous. And he says, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? You know, we could go to Daniel um, chapter, um, I believe it's Daniel chapter 7, um, in verses 18 and 22, where he talks about there that the saints will rule and reign and judge with the king of kings and with the Lord. They'll reign. We are co-heirs with Christ. So he says, think of your position Think of who you are in Christ. Do you not know that the saints, those that are called by God, those that have been sanctified, those that are being sanctified, those that, are be, that have been justified, the saints will judge the world. If the world is judged by you, he's talking to the Corinthians, and I think we could talk to ourselves, if the, if the world is judged by you, are you not competent to cons- constitute the smallest law courts yourself? In other words... In other words, when there's a disagreement, and there's liable to be, you know, within the church, there's sometimes disagreements. Maybe it's over a carpet color. Maybe it's over the paint on the wall. But do we go to law courts to settle those? You know what the right thing is? We come before the Lord together, and we work that out. How do we work that out? We work that out. We should work that out as brothers and sisters, as saints of God, in unity. That what? that honors and glorifies God. Paul's going to write later in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do what? Do all to the glory of God. That isn't just some things. That's all things. That's the gospel applied to every part of our lives. Eating and drinking. Oh, is that how we glorify God? No, we can. In the way we, all things are, are free to us, as long as we give thanks and honor God and those things that we take into our bodies, those things are just eliminated. There are those that talk, but you can't eat this, you can't eat that, or you can't be partakers of that. Paul's going to deal with that later. All things we do are glorifying to God. So we can come together. We don't go before the law courts of man and seek um, wisdom or seek uh, a judgment. We come together and work those things out in unity, in love for God, and in honoring God in all of our decisions Uh, There has to be one amongst you, he says. Is there not one amongst you that could judge? In this world is judged. There's not one competent to do that? There should be. In fact, he said earlier, he's kind of in a scathing thing. He says, uh, where are the wise? Where Where are the wisdom people of, you know, it's kind of a sarcastic statement. Where are they? So, do you not know that you'll judge the world? And he also goes on to say, do you not know that we will judge angels? No, there's a lot of commentary about that. But at some, some degree or some manner, those that are saints that have trusted Christ as their Savior will sit in judgment over angels. Some say the fallen angels. Some say the angels themselves. There's a lot, nobody really knows how that's going to look or how that's going to be that I've read. But I know this. You and I are wonderfully and fearfully made. We are made, according to Genesis, we are made in the image of our creator. Angels are created beings too, but you and I are a little different. We are made in the image of our God. And we are given authority over the earth to have dominion over the earth. And sin entered the picture. But one day, when God comes to judge, and Jesus will be the ultimate judge, but you and I will participate in that somehow. He said, if that is the case, if that's what's going to happen, and as saints, you will judge not only the world, but you will judge even angels, how do you go before men looking for wisdom and settlements? This shouldn't be. 
This shouldn't be. And he says, think about these things. Put things, and I wrote in here according to just a thought that we have. Do not, don't, don't you know that you'll be judges over angels? How much more matters of this life? I put, you know, let's put things in an eternal perspective. You know, so often we have these things that take place. And you can look at, you can, let's, look, let's look at James chapter 4. James talks about this just a little bit in chapter 4. Uh, and he, the title of my Bible says, avoid these things. James chapter 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lost and you don't have. So you commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. The eternal perspective is that he has already said all things are ours. We have an eternal inheritance with Christ in heaven. And people take people to court. You know what they're looking for? They're either looking for one of two things. They're looking to gain property or money or revenge. That's what they're looking for. You see it on Judge Judy. You see it on any other TV show or go to courts. And what do we want when we go to court? We want revenge or we want some property and money. I always chuckle a little bit when I go by a driveway and I see, do not turn around. This is not a turnaround. This is my property. Don't you dare put your wheels on my driveway. It's just a driveway. I always think that. It's just a driveway. What's it going to hurt if I turn around there? But that's what these lawsuits, they're seeking revenge. They're seeking, they're seeking uh, money or property. We need to put things into a, an eternal perspective. And so these things are m- meaningless, really, in eternity. Uh, the things that we have here. Um, I often have this thought when I, I haven't done it for a while, walk the dogs to the woods because of my knee. I love to get back to that. I, I went to the, the other morning, I got up, and before Helen got up, I snuck out the door to go take care of the chickens. Boy, it's a long ways to the chicken coop now. A lot longer than it used to be, but I got it done. But I haven't walked there to the woods with the dogs for a long time. But you know what I often think? Yeah, I own this land, but it's not really mine. Somebody else is going to own it after me, and somebody else after them, and somebody else after them. You know whose land it really is? It's God's. He owns everything. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and he owns my farm, and I'm just borrowing it for now. It's a beautiful place, and I love to walk out there, but it really belongs to God. And I'm not going to sue anybody over that, and we're not looking for property. I have an eternal home that I'm headed for, but the Lord has blessed us with this place that we live on, but I'm just borrowing it for now. So we, we in these lawsuits that they're coming, they're wanting to grab a hold of the things of this world. They're wanting to put their hands around them and knuckle white tight on them and say, I'm going to hang on to these because this is what I have and I, no one's taking it from me. That's to say, there's not an eternity. There's not a place that God has prepared for me. I, this is more important and that's just not so. That's just not to be our focus. We are to look to the Lord and look to him for judgment and look to the Lord's word for wisdom. Put things in an eternal perspective. So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? In other words, unbelievers. And I 
basically to this question, here's the answer. Don't go to the world for wisdom or help. To a settlement. I know Paul at one point asked to appeal to Caesar because of the injustice of his countrymen against him. And so it's not a, a blanket law we can go to court over certain things, but not certainly looking for an advantage or looking for revenge. Don't go to the world for that wisdom and that help in matters that you're seeking those things. And he says, I say to this to your shame. Or a warning he said before, I say to this to your shame. It is so that there is not anyone of you wise, none, no wise man who will be able to decide between brethren. But brethren goes to law with brother and that before unbelievers. And you know, I just put down here the answer to that question. You know where we should go? Go together before God and seek his wisdom. And I say that quickly, but that's, that's a hard thing to do. You know why it's hard to do? Because first we have to submit to the word of God and admit we're wrong. And then we have to be obedient to the word of God. And sometimes our, our desire is to just do the opposite of that. It is, ask the Lord for strength to do that. To just come together before the Lord if there's a dispute, if there's an argument, or come together with your pastor or your deacon and come before the Lord. And I would say, first of all, don't go to that court, but come before the Lord together and get together and pray. You know, when you come before the Lord and pray, you know what's exposed? Everything in your heart. Or it should be. Because there's nothing you can hide. There's nothing that is hidden from his eyes. So we come together before the Lord and we come together to resolve these things and we seek to honor him. Come together and seek to resolve these things and to honor him in the decision. In other words, I wrote this too, the first six verses here, just to, just to give a synopsis, synopsis to this or a, a one uh, sentence to this, just to suck, sum it up. Don't live as people in the present when we are people of eternity. Don't live as people in the present and we're grabbing hold of this is all there is when we are saints and people of eternity and will inherit the kingdom with God and be a part of that, co-heirs with Christ. And he says, these things shouldn't be. We go to court over trivial things. There should be a wise man amongst you to go together before God and to resolve these things and honor the Lord in them. And he says, when you do that, he says, actually then, it is already a defeat for when you go. It's already a defeat when you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded or robbed or cheated? What would be better? To lose $100 in a lawsuit and you're just steaming? Or would it be better just to give up that $100 and honor God with your testimony? He said, if you, you're looking to rob and defraud, you're already robbed and defrauded. Of what? Of the blessing of fellowship with God. Of the blessing of bringing glory to Him in every aspect of your life as you live out the gospel. And you live out the gospel. He said, if you go, you're already defrauded. Actually, when you've already defeated, you've already, these lawsuits with one another, you've, already, you've wronged them, you already are defeated. Why not be rather wronged? And why not be def defrauded of these things? 
Honor God in your decisions and live out the gospel. On the contrary, you yourselves are wronged and defrauded. Do these, do these even to your brother. You do these, you're already wronged and defrauded and that you have not only, you know, already broken fellowship with God, but you've broken fellowship with your brother in Christ. You're already defeated and not in unity in the spirit with God around God's word. You're already defeated. We've been there, haven't you? We've been there when we've had at odds with somebody and just that that awfulness, that awful feeling. I've been there. I've, I've, done, I've done things at work at Kroger. I'll give you an example. One night in the back room, there was something, going, I don't even remember exactly, but I know I said something that I shouldn't have said to this guy, one of my, one of my crew. And I hurt his feelings because I'd lost my patience with him. And I, I, you know, I justified it. I was right. I had, I was okay. I had, I was in the right here. But you know where it didn't feel good? In my heart. You know where it was, you know, it was, you know where it was painful? That I know that what I said hadn't honored God. And it takes, I just want to tell you, it takes courage, but you can do it with the Lord's help. And I stood there in the back room and I prayed about that. And you know what? I went right to him and I apologized and asked for his forgiveness. That, I wanted my crew together and I didn't want that rift. And even more so within the body of Christ, we want to be on the same page in unity around the Bible around one another with the same agenda that we want to both honor and glorify God. We're saints, not sinners. Because God has called us to himself and our thinking is right and our standing is as saints before him, a child of God, a co-heir with Christ, possessing all things already. He's talked about that. So I would, just, I would tell you tonight, Protect that fellowship with God and protect that fellowship with your fellow brother and sister in Christ in unity and honor to God. Be wronged if it comes to that. Be defrauded if it comes to that. But be in unity with one another and forgive and be forgiving. In those things that don't go to, don't go to the court, don't take a brother to task before the world and ask for the world's wisdom or the world's judgment, come together before the Lord and work these things out that honor God and work the gospel out in everyday life. And he says here, the, saint, the sinners, he says, do you not know that the unrighteous will, will not inherit the kingdom of God? And before we begin there, you know, here's a, here's a, here's a thing that the world doesn't understand that we understand as believers because of God's word. Just to say you're a Christian also means that we have a high moral standard. You've heard people say, I believe in God, but their, but their life of immorality doesn't speak that way. Or they think they can, they separate the church and, and a secular life. And we believe in God and we, we do these things, but I live this way. We're involved in these things. Moral excellence matters. And it goes right along with being a believer. So 
He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Don't be fooled by what the world says, that there are many ways to heaven, that you are okay, that you've done enough, that you are in the church that is preaching the truth when it's not even opening the Bible and preaching their own opinions. Don't be deceived. Go to the truth of God's word and see what God has to say about the way to heaven. I'll tell you what it says. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way to heaven except through me. End of the story. Final word. You know why it's the final word? Because it's God's word. And so often we go to man's opinion or man's word, our own ideas, instead of the final word, which is God's word. We live by faith, but we look to God's word as we are being sanctified and and applying this gospel that has saved us into everyday life. Do you not know? Don't be deceived. Fornicators or idolaters or adulterers, the, the effeminate or homosexuals. And, you know, we know that's a problem today, the homosexual community and all those things, but it isn't just today. I was reading this week that that history tells us that 14, probably out of the first 15 emperors of Romans, practice homosexuality. The emperors, the 14 of the first 15 emperors. Socrates was probably a practicing homosexual. So it isn't just today. You know what it is? It's a problem that sin entered the world. And everything that God set up that was right and perfect and holy and proper has been bent to the wrong direction. And it continues to be bent to the wrong direction. Not toward God and honoring Him, not toward God's Word, but toward man's ideas of what man wants. And He says, don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor the kingdom of God, nor... nor, nor idolaters, nor uh, effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And I just want to say there too, this isn't just practices, name some of them, but these, some of these are just sins of the heart. Just sins of our heart. Not just we're practicing these things, but we desire to do what we want and we desire, desire to deceive and we desire to swindle. That's the unrighteous. That's a sinner. It's the different than for you and I as saints. Don't be deceived. No, none of these people practicing these things on a regular basis as a lifestyle will inherit the kingdom of God. None of them. But we are citizens of heaven and that's our last point. Citizens, citizens of heaven, that's my home, that's my destination. I have an eternal view. It says in verse 11, Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified. That washed means regenerated. The Spirit makes us come alive. We are forgiven. Our sins are cleansed. We are forgiven by God's power when we trust in Christ. Such were some of you, the things that he listed above, Such were you, and you were involved with them, but everything has changed now because of the gospel message. And you were washed, you were sanctified, set apart, you were justified, declared right before God because of faith in Christ, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the Spirit of God. And that is simply grace, the grace of God given, and then grace evidenced in how we live our life living out the gospel. That this grace of God has been applied to our hearts. And we have been washed, brought back to life. 
We have been sanctified, set apart, and we are being sanctified, being conformed to the image of our God and Savior. Being sanctified. Why? Because God has declared us just. And you notice what's at the end here? We've talked about the unity. Because of the name, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. There's the Trinity. Together, saving you and I. Not, well, do you want to save him? Or do you, no, let's argue about that. Let's go to court and see who will save today. No. Before time began, the list was made. In perfect unity. And it continues to be today. Grace of God given. Grace evidenced in the way we live our lives daily for God. And it's simply that we submit and obey to the Spirit as we live out our lives. Well, my time has passed up um, pretty much. And I want to get to my propositional statement. What has been transformed and what makes everything different? What makes everything different? Second Corinthians, Paul writes in 5.17. If anyone is in Christ... He's a new creature. Behold, all things are new. Everything's changed. Everything's transformed. And you know what that is? You know what, you know what makes everything different? I'll tell you what it is. The object of my affections are Jesus. Think about that. In all of life, in everything you think, do, eat, say, or are involved with is the affection of all you do to honor Jesus who saved you by his blood. That changes everything. When the object of my affection go to 1 John. He says, not because I loved him because he first loved me. And the evidence of that is that that love then that's been poured into my heart, Romans chapter 5, is now manifested to those around me and I love them more than myself the object of my affection is Jesus and it changes and it transforms everything and not only does it transform me as salvation but it should continue to transform us daily as we apply that affection toward him in the gospel message that was applied to our hearts and you were such once like them sinners but now you're saints because you have been washed by the spirit regenerated you have been sanctified, set apart for his use, for his purpose. You belong to Jesus. You've been declared just by his power and by his blood. Why would you not love him? Why would you not give him all of your life? The, the object of our affection is Jesus, and that changes everything. It should and we go to him. We go to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't go to the world. We don't live that way anymore. But we shouldn't. And it isn't just in church. It's when we do the dishes, when we eat or drink, or whatever you do, is the object of your affection and why you do it, Jesus. Changes everything. Paul wants these folks to know that. Quit going here and quit going there. Go to God with together and resolve these things and honor him. He's the object of your faith. He's changed everything. Quit living like the world. Live like who you are. Saints, not sinners.
Father in heaven, we thank you for this time tonight and thank you for your word tonight. Thank you that you saved us. Lord, if we say anything tonight as we close, we just say, simply say this. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.